We're going to have a good time together talking about some of the things of the kingdom of God. I really do believe, I really do believe that we're entering a time of great opportunity for God's kingdom. God's up to some great things around the world. We're also entering a time of great division. My country's never been more divided than it is right now uh, since the Civil War. And uh, we're facing opportunity and obstacles. And not only in the kingdom of God, but in our individual lives. And so what I'm going to deal with tonight, and uh, I'm just going to share some of them. I can't teach them in depth, so I'm going to go from one to another rather quickly. And uh, it was birthed in my spirit when I was with Jerry Grillo, Hickory, North Carolina, several weeks ago. And I did an entire seminar on the subject of strength. And I want to talk tonight about strength. Strength to lead, strength to endure, strength to persevere, strength to achieve, strength to accomplish. And uh, we're going to look at that. And I'm going to give you some definition of what kingdom strength will do in your life. Because how many know if the Lord only wanted to get us to heaven, he'd have bumped us off when we got born again? <laughs> if that was the purpose, if that was God's purpose in our life, as soon as we got born again, it would have been so much easier for him and all the rest of us. If he's in, praise God, pow, he's in heaven. That's not God's purpose for us in our lives. God's grace is going to get us to heaven. But there is an assignment in the kingdom of God that everyone in here has, and it is unique to your gifts. It is unique to your callings. It has no expiration date. You cannot be too young. You cannot be too old for it. And it requires the strength of God, I think, more than ever before. And I'm going to get into this in a minute. And I know we've prayed, but I'm going to pray again in just a moment. Last week, I was in Houston, Texas, where Harvey has just hit. I was just showing a video. As we drove down the streets and literally people's lives were stacked as high as the roof because their homes had been inundated with 54 inches of rain in a day and a half. Everything, they lost it all. And it's piled outside, and I'll never forget as we drove by, and one lady just looked up and said, help in any way you can. And we had done that. We'd sent some money, a few thousand dollars to help through Gary Alanese's church. We were helping in other ways, and many churches were helping. But we're living in days where some opportunities for the kingdom of God are going to come to us. And we can't accomplish it in weakness. We have to accomplish it in strength. So that's the subject. That's where we're going to go tonight. Father, I humble myself tonight. I thank you for this wonderful church. I thank you, Lord, for this group of leaders, leaders in the church, leaders in their homes, leaders in their careers, leaders in their relationships. And, Father, I pray, Lord, as I humble myself before you, that you will speak to us tonight about strength and what it will do in our lives we give you the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. The Bible said, In the last days they that know their God 
shall be strong and do exploits. I'm going to give you several verses, then we'll get into what strength is. Job chapter 12, verse 16. With God is strength and wisdom. The name of our ministry is Strength and Wisdom Ministries. We major in that. Strength and wisdom are twins in the kingdom. They're not identical twins. They're fraternal twins. They're not exactly alike, but one needs the other. Wisdom is the firstborn because how many know the Bible says wisdom is the principal thing? So wisdom is the firstborn. And that's shocking to a lot of believers because they think miracles are the principal thing. A lot of people need miracles because they didn't have wisdom. <laughs> Not everybody. Not everybody. Things can happen if we're walking in wisdom where we need miracles. We understand that. But wisdom is the firstborn, but right after that is strength. And the Bible talks a lot about being strong in the Lord. Ephesians 3, verse 16, that he would grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in our inner man. Ephesians 6.10 is probably one of the verses most familiar. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Proverbs 24.5, and I'm just throwing these scriptures to you. You can write them down. They're being recorded. Proverbs 24.5, a wise man is strong. A man of knowledge will increase strength. And one more, Proverbs 10, 29. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright. In other words, God wants us strong. How many really believe that? That we've had enough victim mentality in the church. We need to have a victor mentality in the church. I mean, we've got way too much to do in the kingdom of God to be smoothing over offenses every two weeks because somebody didn't shake our hand. I mean, we should, we should have grown a lot farther than that. We should be a lot stronger than that. We should be a lot more mature than that. I don't know when the Lord is coming, and no man knows the day nor the hour, but it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of things coming to a consummation and conclusion. And if there was ever time we need strength to fulfill our assignment... It's now. And what will strength do? I'm talking about spiritual, emotional, relational strength in God. I want to give you several things. Number one, strength is the ability to remain unchanged when everyone around you is attempting to change you. Strength is the ability... To remain unchanged when everyone around you is attempting to change you. I don't know the way it is in Canada, but I got a pretty good idea. I can tell you the way it is in the States. Everybody will have an opinion of who you ought to be. How many have noticed that? Everybody will try to, everybody's got an idea of the best you, you can be. The problem is they haven't discovered God's idea about the best they, they could be. But they're an expert. How many know what I'm talking about? They're kind of an expert, and they're trying to pull you in to that and change you. Now, I'm not talking about God will use people in our lives that he uses to mold us, to mature us, to change us, to grow us. And we all need that. We need friends. We need relationships. 
We need coaches. We need five-fold ministry. And God can use us that way. I'm just talking about the people. Come on, how many know? I'm thinking of uh, the old classic Broadway musical, The Music Man. Anybody, you know? And uh, they had a song in The Music Man. And it, it, uh, they were talking about the librarian. There were several women outside the library talking about the librarian in negative terms. And they all had hats on with feathers. And the song was, pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, pick, 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 talk a lot, pick a little more, pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, pick, 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 talk a lot, pick a little more. Pay attention, you're going to sing this in a minute. You know. Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, pick, 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 talk a lot, pick a little more, pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, pick, 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 pick. And the whole concept was they all knew what she ought to be. Have you ever noticed that uh, if you're watching a boxing match or whatever, that the guy that had to buy two tickets because he needed two seats and he's got the jumbo popcorn and the great big Dr. Pepper and if he stands up, gets out of breath, but he knows how to tell them. <laughs> He's sitting in the third row, you know, work the jab, hook him with the right, you know, the whole gig. Yeah, and I've always wanted them to stop in the middle of it and say, sir, if you know what I should be so well, please come up here and show me. <laughs> and so it's just normal human relationship. People think they can change us. And God knows we all need to grow. We all need to change. And there are people in our lives that have good intent. But I'm talking about people that are really trying to manipulate and change us. We need to get so strong that we're secure in our self-portrait. We know who we are. We're secure in our assignment. We know what our assignment is. We're secure in our motivational gifts. And I think we need to get so strong that we not only know what we are, but what we aren't. Mm -hmm. And we're strong enough to accept that. There's some things I'm not good at. There's some other things that I'm very good at. Because I'm gifted in those areas, I'm not gifted in these. Let me help you with this. Stop working to get strong in the area that you're weak. Go with your strengths. Now, I'm not talking about moral weakness or integrity weakness or character weakness. But if you're not a good administrator, don't try to be an administrator. Find out what you're good at. Be strong enough to quit having people remake you into something God didn't make you. If Hillary Clinton would have been elected president of the United States, God forbid. But if Hillary Clinton would have been elected... Just, just a little personal thing. <laughs> Had nothing to do with gender. <laughs> Intelligence. Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on. We'll move on. We'll move on. But if she would have been elected the first president, female president of the United States, she wouldn't have been the first woman to ever been the executive over the United States. In our Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was president. He is the absolute Worst executive administrative president in the history of the United States. Totally confused. Bipolar, manic depressive, 
would send wrong orders to the wrong generals. He was terrible at crossing T's, dotting I's, and being an administrator. But he had a secretary by the name of Mrs. Kennedy, and she was an excellent administrator. Interesting, later we had a president by the name of Kennedy, and her, his secretary's name was Lincoln. <laughs> but Abraham Lincoln, I'm not demeaning Abraham Lincoln, I'm trying to show. He was strong enough to not let people try to change him in something he wasn't. He knew what he was, he knew what he wasn't. So he hired Mrs. Kennedy, and she put 11, I think it was 11 or 12 something, stovepipe hats around the circumference of the Oval Office, upside down, and put signs on each hat so, and told him, Mr. President, just deal with one hat at a time. <laughs> and she managed him, and by managing him, she managed the United States of America. Lincoln was smart enough to not allow people to change him into something he wasn't. He was terrible at administration, but he could do this on a train going to a battlefield in Pennsylvania. He could take an envelope and a pencil and write this. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And he wrote the Gettysburg Address and in a few short paragraphs inspired a nation. He couldn't cross T's, but he could inspire a nation. Be strong enough to be who God made you to be. Don't let people manipulate you to try to make you into something you're not. The uniqueness of you is important to God. Amen? Amen. I've got more I could say on that, but I, I want to move pretty quickly. Next. The strength is the ability to remain unmoved in the face of intimidation. The strength of God is the ability to remain unmoved in the face of intimidation. I like what Paul said. Paul lists all the things he's gone through and he says this. In Acts he says, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy. Then when he's writing in his epistles, he says this. These light afflictions which are but for a moment are working for me a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While I look not at the things which are seen because they're temporary, but I look at the things which are not seen because they're eternal. Now, excuse me, Paul, but can we analyze these light afflictions a moment? Because he lists them. I've been beaten with rods three times. I took the whipping Jesus took once three, on three occasions. I've been shipwrecked. I never wonder if it's going to be Holiday Inn or Hilton. I go to jail everywhere I preach. You know, I mean, he goes on and on. 
he was stoned outside the city of Lystra. And, the, and he says, I don't know if I was in the flesh or the spirit, but I was caught up to heaven and saw things it's unlawful for me to say, meaning I don't know if I died and the Lord raised me from the dead or I had a vision. I mean, and he climbs out from under the pile of rocks and goes to the next place and preaches. And eventually he's beheaded. And I want Paul's summation of all of these problems he's gone through. None of these things move me. These are light afflictions. They last for a moment. Now fast forward to the North American church in the 21st century. <laughs> Amen? Amen. What moves some of us? It's too hot. and It's too cold. I don't like the music. She didn't shake my hand. I'm not getting fed. That might be because you're a goat. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Little things move the Western church. Come on, I've been here enough times. You know I love you. So. <laughs> Your blood pressure spikes, you need it. <laughs> Little things move the, West, the, the North American church. Little things, little things. And yet our forefathers in the kingdom of God went through everything hell could throw at, and they were so strong that their, their summation of it is, eh, these light afflictions, they're just for a moment anyway. And uh, it's working for me, a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. We'd been whipped and, and put in the bottom of the dungeon in Philippi, so let's have a praise and worship service. We're not going to be down here and say, I don't believe this is what... I think God didn't ask me about this. I'm wounded about this. Somebody isn't praying or this wouldn't happen. I've sown a seed and this shouldn't happen to somebody. You know, whiny baby Christianity needs to go out the door. It really needs to go out the door. Jesus did not whine over his assignment. Now, I'm not demeaning pain. I've been through pain, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you may see the glory, but I know the story I've been through. I understand pain. I understand pouring in oil and wine. I'm not trying to be hard-hearted. What I'm telling you is, is there is a place of strength in God where things don't move us. Where the Bible says we get to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. How many want to get to that point in our lives? I want to live that way. I want to live that way. Let me give you the goal of manipulation. I'm taking a little bit too long on these points. I've got to pick up the pace. The goal of manipulation is intimidation. I, I said that wrong. The goal of intimidation is manipulation. If someone or something or if the enemy tries to intimidate us, his goal is to manipulate us. The goal of manipulation is domination. Because if he can intimidate me enough where I get into fear, he can manipulate my thinking. If he can manipulate my thinking as a man thinks, so he is. 
So if he can manipulate my thinking, he can dominate me. And the goal of domination is incarceration. What do I mean by that? He wants to put us in some kind of a bondage. So every time intimidation comes, understand the goal of it. The Bible said God has not given us a spirit of fear. The Greek word is timidity or intimidation. God has not given us a spirit of intimidation, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. So Paul said none of these things move me. Number three. Strength is the ability. Boy, this is huge. And it's very hard. It takes strength of God. The ability to honor in an environment of dishonor. Are you strong enough that you can honor when you're totally surrounded by dishonor? It takes real strength. Real strength. The Holy Spirit, and I want to be careful how I say this. The Holy Spirit's response to honor is extravagant. And his response to dishonor is extreme. Hear those words. When the Holy Spirit sees honor, he responds extravagantly. When Solomon brought all of the honor and the sacrifices into the temple that he had built, the Holy Spirit responded by filling the temple where the priests couldn't even stand to, stand to minister in the temple. And the glory of God came. But when Uzzah touched the ark in dishonor, he was struck dead instantly. Now, I know that's Old Testament. I always love this. Here's a pet peeve. I'm going to get it out because I'm with family. I don't feel that here, but I love this. I love it when people say, that's Old Testament. Right. <clears throat> the God of the Old Testament, somewhere between Malachi and Matthew, died. <laughs> and a new God started in Matthew because we're under a new covenant. And, and Paul was wrong when he said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. He had to be wrong because the only Scripture they knew about then was Old Testament Scripture. And people, it's amazing to me how people don't like Malachi 3 and 4, but they love Psalm 23 and 91. <laughs> I'm in my spirit of sarcasm now. This is a gift God has given me. You know. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. Oh, I love Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not on the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the sea of the scornful, etc., etc. We love it, we love it. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. That's Old Testament. <laughs> Kind of amazing how we've made the Old Testament a smorgasbord. I'll have some of that, but I don't want any of that. And we even made the New Testament. How many know that the menu is the menu, baby? Everything's in there. It's all given by God. Amen. And it's all for our profit. Uh, and it's all for his glory. Yeah. Amen. 
But this thing of honor in an environment of dishonor. I've been in services, phenomenal moves of the Holy Spirit. I can think of a couple of them particularly where large conferences where, where uh, I was privileged to speak and there were other speakers there. And in a particular service, the glory of God was so prevalent that you could, uh, and I'm not talking about just feeling, I'm talking about the manifest presence of God was so in that service that everything that was happening was highly touched and highly affected by the power of God. And it was moving toward a great climax of what the Lord wanted to do in that service. And one man got up behind the pulpit and made a snide, negative comment about another ministry. And here's what I felt happen in the atmosphere. The hand of the Lord came off that service that fast. God hates dishonor. He hates dishonor. God doesn't hate anything. Oh, yeah. The Bible talks about in Proverbs seven things God hates. One is an abomination unto it. And when you wrap all those seven up, they're all describing dishonor. The Ten Commandments. And I understand we're not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. And then probably we ought to be able to not kill our neighbor or commit adultery. <laughs> um, you know, that is kind of pre-K level. Really? I get amused people. Eh? We're trying to keep the ten, ten Commandments. Really? Well, we couldn't keep them before, but after Christ came into our lives, it's really, you know, is it that hard? Sarcasm's back again. <laughs> it's that hard. It's that hard to not, to not lie, to not, you know, come on. How many know that ought to be relatively easy for somebody that has the indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit? But look at the Ten Commandments. They're all about one subject. They're about honor. Every one of them is about honor. Some of them are about honoring God. Thou shalt have no other God before me. See? And then some of them are about honoring people. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife anything that is in anything that is thy neighbor. Honor your father and mother. It'll go well with you and, be, and, and you'll have a long life. Now here's the question. How are you strong enough? Can you be strong enough to remain in honor when you're surrounded in an environment of dishonor. Because we want to react to it. We want to react to it. Watch this. Don't you know I have the power to let you go or crucify you? And Jesus, it's okay. You couldn't have any power at all against me unless it were given to you from above. And, and what they're doing is a lot worse than what you're doing, so. Let's get on with it. He remains in honor. Even to the man who is going to release him to be crucified. Can you stay in honor? The American culture has lost the whole concept of respect and honor. 
We don't even know when to stand for the flag anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm serious. I can be about this thing. It's not a race thing. It's an honor thing. I stand in amazement. You're kidding me. We can't figure this out. <laughs> I watch a video and, and people are kneeling. I don't mind protests, but make it, yeah, it's not time to do it when, when, when we're honoring our country. Yeah. It's not time to do that. You're making a political statement. Yes, loud and clear. <laughs> I've lost friends in Vietnam. Blood is run. It's not the time. And I'm watching a video, and I'm seeing dishonor, and behind it I see a veteran that's in the third row in the stands, and he doesn't have any legs, and he's in a wheelchair, and I'm not going to do it in this thing because it spins too much. <laughs> I might be in dishonor. But he pushes himself up on his arms like this and holds the weight of his body off of his wheelchair for the entire national anthem and then lets it down. Come on. That's remaining in honor yeah. in an environment of dishonor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you do that? Mm -hmm. That takes the strength of God to do that. It really does. If you're on a job and the supervisor you know, is the supervisor that Lucifer is considering for a job? <laughs> you know what I mean. And they, can you remain in honor in that environment until you can move out of that environment until you get some world? Can you remain in honor? It's been, you know, especially if you're gifted with the ability to communicate. The ability to retort. The ability of a mind that can answer quickly. Sometimes the most honorable thing you can do is a Sicilian anointing. Keep your bigger mouth shut. Sometimes that's the greatest honor, but it takes strength. I act honorably in the midst of dishonor because honor is what I am. I can't help what they are. And I want to help them. But I'm not going to let their dishonor change my honor. Very important. And the strength of God can help you do that. I'm picking and choosing because i got about 20 of these and I'm not going to give them all. You receiving this? Yes. Yes. The strength of God. Do I want to? I think so. The strength of God gives you the ability to respond rather than react. The strength of God will give you the ability to be a responder, not a reactor. What's the difference? I may, be, I may have given you this uh, illustration before, but when I was younger, and uh, some of you wondered who was coming in tonight, and I don't know what happened. I turned into Moses. <laughs> the gray beard happened. I don't know how to do it. But anyway, I saw your pastor do it, and so I'm trying to imitate. <laughs> I tried to imitate him, and I, I come up here, and he's clean shaven. So I don't know. 
But when I was younger, I was, uh, I was trained some in the martial arts. And uh, that didn't make me demonic or demon-possessed. Uh, I didn't get into all kinds of meditation to where I opened portals and so I don't, I don't, I don't need counseling on that after, afterwards. <laughs> Not that you would, but I've used this illustration and wanted to use martial arts afterwards. But anyway. <laughs> and uh, I remember getting in a, in a sparring match, you know, we had matches. And uh, it was a pretty serious match. It wasn't full contact, but it was the uh, closest thing to it, not being full contact. And when you get close, uh, you usually go over the line. And, uh, and we were doing in the sparring match. And my opponent had the most vicious front snap kick to the solar plexus that I'd ever experienced in my life. And it was a memorable event. <laughs> when he landed that technique and he was so fast and and most of the time and I'm going to teach something spiritual if you can get through the blood just hang on <laughs> most of the time there's a tell to it they'll do something that will let you know they're about to throw that technique and you you, you know but he didn't I mean it came when you didn't ever know it was coming, he was good. And he was wearing me out here, just at one after the other, after the other, after the other. And so I begin to react to that. And uh, in martial arts, the training was balance, focus, response, and precision. You have to be in a balanced stance at all times. You get off balance, you're, you're in trouble. You have to be focused. You never focus on the eyes of your adversary because eyes are the wind of the soul and the heart is deceitfully wicked, so with his eyes he can juke you out. You, you focus here because before that goes anywhere, he's not moving. If anybody goes out here tonight and uses this while I'm teaching, we're not going to bail you out. <laughs> But, but I reacted, and he'd throw that kick, and I'd get, I'd, I'd, I'd get off balance. I'd be way off balance out here, way off balance. And my focus would be off. I mean, you know, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be in a fighting stance. I'm supposed to be balanced. He'd throw that kick, and I would, instead of doing what I should do, I'd react, react to it, you know, like this. Now, where am I? I'm off balance. He's there. Where am I looking? There. I've lost focus. Can I throw anything from here in response? Nothing. And can I be precise if I did throw it? No. So I've lost four keys here. I'm in trouble. I'm on the defense. He beat thunder out of me. <laughs> and I lost the match. And I, I go up to my trainer afterwards, and he looks at me, and he says, Brown, you're reacting to that front snap kick. I said, absolutely. <laughs> and he said, why are you reacting to that? I said, it hurts. <laughs> it built a memory in me. <laughs> and it was a memory of pain from the first time it landed. And he said, I didn't teach you to react. I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to respond. 
I said, what, what's the difference? He said, you, when you react to your enemy, he wins. But if you would have responded to what I taught you, you would have won. Come on. That's good. And I said, well, what did, what, what did you teach me? <laughs> he said, that's a problem. When you react to your enemy, you forget to respond to what you know. And we spend too much time reacting to what the enemy's doing. You know, we got to get in our devil bind. I bind you, you found. I just, come on, man. <laughs> you never hear about an emergency's first reactors. You hear about first responders. Yeah. Yeah. I respond to the voice of my teacher, not the technique of my enemy. Right. And, and he took me aside and he said, now what did I teach you? I can't do this anymore. He said, what did I teach you? And somebody at those front step, I said, well... You told me to, to stay on focus, stay on balance, but to step, stay focused, parry that kick, because it's coming this way. Parry that kick to the side, which puts him off balance, and then come back into balance yourself into a fighting stance. He said, you remember that? I said, I do now. <laughs> he said, you never did that. I said, you're right. He said, if you would have done that three times, I, by the third time, I knew what the tell was to know when he was going to throw that kick. He said, if you would have responded to what I trained you three times in a row, you would have parried it. I'm going to bring it over in the kingdom. Watch it. You would have parried the kick, come back to balance. You would have parried the kick, come back to balance. Third time, you would have parried the kick, come back to balance and you would have known when he was going to throw it again because three times if you maintained your focus the enemy would have told you what was necessary to defeat him that's good that's good and he said and he said before he throws that kick he always squints his eyes I was too busy squinting my eyes. I never saw him squint his eyes. He said before he throws it, every time he narrows his eyes. And he said he never narrows his eyes on any other technique he uses. And he said because you're a reactor rather than a responder, you didn't know what your teacher knew. You've got to be strong enough to not react to the techniques of what the enemy is trying to do in our lives. Because Amen. Amen. If, if we react to his agenda, he sets the agenda. Mm -hmm. yeah. I said, well, what should I? He said, I told you what to do. He said, on the fourth time, if you just stepped, parried the kick, he would have thought you were coming back to do the same thing you'd always done. But he said, instead, I trained you to pivot, load the right elbow. I can't do it here, but anyway... Take one step forward and bring that elbow here, and he'll be caught up in the third heaven and see things that's unlawful. <laughs> and I said, I looked at him, I said, yes, sir. I said, and I was kind of trying to joke around because he could take that, and we were, had a good, I said, now you tell me. He, he looked at me real serious. He said, no, I told you a long time ago. You just didn't listen. The Holy Spirit is preparing us now 
to be strong enough for the technique of the enemy that's coming in our future. That's why it's so important to listen. So important to be strong enough that we don't react. Oh, come on, grab that. I don't want to be a reactor all my life. If I am, then the enemy sets the agenda continually. I'm 65 now, but I'm, I'm planning on being on the Smucker's Jar on the Today Show, <laughs> which means you've got to be 100 years old. I've asked the Lord for it. What if he doesn't do it? Eh, I'm ready, but I, that's my goal. I've got things I want to do. I've got people I want to help. I've got a lot of books right now. I've got four books in the, in the works right now. And the Lord has just been dealing with me about a fifth one. I've got protégés I want to mentor. I've got things I want to build. I've got a lot on my plate that I want to do. And I cannot afford to spend my life in reaction yeah, come on. to everything, every technique that comes my way. If I do, I'm always going to be putting out fires, and I'll never start one. I'll just be putting out the fires. And when you get strong enough in the Lord, you become a responder to his voice. I never had that technique work on me again after that day, whether it was that guy or another guy. Because every time, every t- number one, if I saw eyes squint, <laughs> I did, it didn't make me afraid I heard the voice of my master yeah. Yeah. I heard the voice of the master trainer yeah. if I, when I saw him load that kick uh, oh before it was <laughs> it's gonna hurt <laughs> but now when I saw him load that kick it's it's step, parry, pivot load, throw <laughs> And do it in one month. I'm really enjoying remembering this. (laughs) Brother Mike, you're just terrible. You're violent. Well, you know, it it wasn't a crochet class. (laughs) My wife likes crochet, but we just like kicking the fire out of one another. Anyway, not my wife, but. uh, but Y'all still here? <laughs> Let me give you another one. Strength, the strength of God is the ability. Boy, this is tough. This must be a good group. Or I'd skip this one. The ability to disconnect from some people you love to please the God who loves you. Very hard. But if you love people, and this year is my 50th anniversary of preaching the gospel. I started when I was 15 in five Bible clubs when I was still in high school. And I had to have a driver take me to some of the Bible clubs because I didn't have my driver's license yet. And, uh, and preached all through Bible college and so forth. And it's my, it's my 50th year of preaching. And I've learned something. I love people. <clears throat> But I can't please God in my assignment and stay connected to everybody that I love. And this is strong medicine. Jesus had to. 
Jesus looks at them one time and they said, your mom and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. And you know what Jesus said? He said, who is my mom? Who are my brothers? But they that do the will of my father. I'm not going out and talking to them right now. I'm about my father's business. Now, he didn't cast them aside, you know. But they thought he was crazy at the time. Read your New Testament. They thought was, the Bible said, they said, let us go up and get him because he is beside himself. <laughs> they thought he was crazy. And if anybody knew who he was, Mary knew. But people that love you when pressure comes on can have all kinds of fluctuations. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I'm not talking about just family. Let me put it another way. On your way up to fulfill God's assignment, you'll have to let some people off. Because they'll love you for what you were, but they won't like you for what God's making you become. Jesus had to leave Nazareth. Did he not love them? Sure he loved them. He went there first. He went there and announced his Messiahship. He read from Isaiah. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Everybody in the whole synagogue knew what that was. That was the messianic prophecy of Isaiah. And then the Bible said he went over and he sat down in the seat. And before he sat down in it, he said, This day that scripture is fulfilled in me before your eyes. And any Orthodox rabbi that studied the New Testament will tell you where he sat. He sat in the Messiah seat because there was a chair in every synagogue in Israel that nobody sat in except the Messiah when he was supposed to come. And this young upstart, carpenter's son, quote unquote, reads that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This day, this is fulfilled in me and sits down the Messiah seat. And they take him outside and try to kill him. <laughs> Read it. And the Bible said he passed through their midst. He just put on stealth technology, passed through. <laughs> and the scripture said he could do, listen to it, listen. he could do no mighty works there. Except he laid hands on a few sick folk and healed them. I like the way Brother Hagin used to say it when he was alive. He said, he said, there were a few in the crowd that snuck around the corner and saw him and said, hey, don't judge us by them. Yeah, come on. Uh, <laughs> so he said, on the way out, he laid hands on a few of them and, and was able to heal them. But he left, and we think it was because he couldn't do, and the Bible didn't say he wouldn't. It said he couldn't. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say something that you have to really think about to understand. God can't even be what God wants to be around some people. Yeah. Well, Brother Mike, can't you say that lovingly? God can't even be <laughs> what God wants to be. <laughs> Did he want to let them know who he was? Yeah, they were the first people he went to. Did he love them? Yes, he lived with them 30 years almost, except the time he was in Egypt and so forth. Did he, care? Did he know them? Yeah, better than anybody in Israel. Did he open an office and stay? No. He was strong enough to disconnect 
from rejectors that he loved. Your nervous breakdowns will not happen because of devils. <laughs> they will happen because you try to pour the best of you into glasses that are turned upside down. And you will pour out the best. Oh, that's, that's, that's strong, but we need to hear it. Will you quit loving them? No, I said you disconnect. God's not going to disconnect. But sometimes you've got to hand the ball to him on it. I'm going to work through this thing. Ah. Well, Jesus would want us to keep trying. Well, here's what Jesus said. When you go into a city or a village or into a house and you display your anointing and they reject your anointing, he said, take back. This is interesting. Take back your peace. I can't even teach this sitting down. <laughs> he says, he said, you take back your peace. Because when they walked into the house, the first thing they would say was shalom. Peace, wholeness, fulfillment. Shalom means a lot of things, more than peace. But he said, take back your shalom. He said, Brother Mike, that, whoever said that must be me. This is Jesus. This is the one that's going to die for him on the cross. If anybody loves him, he loves him. But he's not staying in that house. Why? Because he knew that if he poured out his best on cups that were turned upside down, that he would not have any of his best left when he got to Capernaum. And there is a, you, you're going to have to get strong enough, and I don't know why that this is in me so strong tonight, but I feel it's something every one of us in here need to hear. And I don't mean to use this as an excuse for somebody that we don't just, we just don't like them. Well, they rub us. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you know that what God has placed in you has been rejected by someone over and over. And God says, that's enough. That's enough. I like what a friend of mine wrote. He said, don't, don't. Don't stay where you're tolerated. Mm -hmm. Go where you're celebrated. And that's what Jesus did. He said, you take back your peace. He said, you walk out of that village. And he said, you shake the dust off your feet. And if you understood what that was in a Jewish idiom, it is not complimentary. <laughs> I don't know if you remember when George W. Bush was our president and he went to Iraq to speak and some guy stood up and threw a shoe. Threw a shoe at him. And he, he ducked. In the Middle East, to throw your shoe or to shake the dust off your shoes is a disconnect statement. And Jesus said, there's some people you've got to shake the dust off your shoes. Now, does that mean stop loving them? No, it means love them long distance as you go. <laughs> it's, it's from the whiz of the Wizard of Oz he's on down he's on down the road some of you don't watch Broadway musicals anyway <laughs> I know preachers only supposed to know hymns but <laughs> you have to do it you have to do it sometimes it's hard to do 
It takes strength to do it. Sometimes the hardest things, the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life is turn loose of people I love that I had dreams for, that I wanted to help, that I poured a lot of me into. But it came to a point where I knew the cups were turned upside down and there was no receiving in it. And it, it takes the strength of God to do that because I'm taking a lot of time on this and evidently I need to because the Lord's speaking to some people here about it. Because as soon as you do it, the enemy will get in on the gig. And here's what he'll begin to say. You don't love those people. You don't love those people. If you love those people, you... Well, number one, what does an idiot that thought he could take God's job have a right to tell you anything? I didn't stutter. I meant every word I said. Every word. I meant it just the way I said it. I don't take counsel from the enemy. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. I don't take counsel from the enemy. So when the Lord says disconnect, and listen, friend, it doesn't mean it will be permanent necessarily. It may be, but it may not be. It may not be. Paul had to disconnect from Mark because Mark wasn't ready for Paul. Few were. <laughs> Paul is special forces guy everywhere he goes he's going to start a revival or a riot and usually both and they're going to end up in jail and you study it Paul and Barnabas are traveling together and John Mark young man called of God legitimately called of God and he wants to go so Paul says to Barnabas fine bring him along and he gets out there, and it's not penthouse suites and, you know, Bentley's picking them up for service. <laughs> <laughs> and it's tough going. And John Mark says, you know, I just, I just feel homesick. I just don't know if this is for me. And Barnabas comes to Paul and says, you know, what are we going to do with the young man? We really know he, he, it's really hard on him. What do you, what's your feeling, Paul? And here's Paul. Buy him a bus ticket. Get him out of here. <laughs> Send him home. I don't have time for this. I'll get killed trying to take care of babies. Or Paul's a wrong man. No, Paul is Paul. And Paul is right to be Paul. But then Barnabas looks at Paul. I love this. And he says, you know, I remember a young man I had to work with, too, <laughs> by the name of Saul, <laughs> before you got top billing. <laughs> and I had to work with you, too. And you can almost hear what Paul would say. Paul would quote Paul. <laughs> and Barnabas would say to Paul, I remember when I had to work with you. Here, Paul would probably say this. Forgetting that which is behind and reaching forth out of that. Get him out of here. Well, so here's the question. 
Was Paul wrong disconnecting from Mark? Not at all. If Paul would have tried to keep Mark with him, it probably would have been devastating to the young man. He wasn't ready to handle that. Yeah. And Barnabas and, and Paul disconnected. But it was the will of God to disconnect. Sometimes it's the will of God to have kingdom disconnections. And it doesn't mean it has to be permanent. Watch this. Because at the end of Paul's life, he's in prison. And he's writing a letter. And he says, hey, bring Mark with you to me. For he's profitable to me for the kingdom and for the gospel. And Barnabas is probably reading the letter saying, yeah, and I know why he is. <laughs> I work with him. <laughs> you would. That's why we've got Barnabases in the church. The name of Barnabas means son of consolation. Son of encouragement. He's an encourager. And we need those. You can make it, you can make it, this trial you're going through, John Mark. God's going to show you just what to do. And Paul is, you're a faker, <laughs> you won't make it, I don't have time to blow your nose, I'm not going to iron your clothes, you might as well go, I'm making this up as I go, so it's fair. <laughs> I know we're laughing about it, but you know, sometimes you got to disconnect. Yeah. I was on a plane the other day, and the Lord, uh, we okay? Yes. The Lord began to deal with me. Boy, he dealt with me yesterday on the plane. I may preach tomorrow what he's dealing with me about. I don't know. But he began to deal with me, and he just made this statement to me. He reminded me of Psalm chapter 1. So I start reading it, and I, I can quote it, but I start reading it. You know, blesses man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, standeth the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In that law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. He'll bring forth fruit in his season. Leaf won't wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. And I'm reading that, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit in me said, seven benefits for three stoppages. I said, Excuse me? He said, there's seven benefits, and I read them. And I said, what are the three stoppages? He said, they're all disconnections in verse 1. And he said, you can't connect to your destiny until you disconnect from the people I don't want in your life. Now, don't go out, good. I don't like that person. I didn't like that person a long time. Hallelujah. That mean American prophet came up here and told me to disconnect from you. And I hereby, in the name of Jesus, officially disconnect from you. You're going to be busy next week. Yeah. You know, the Lord would say to that, you know not what spirit you're of. That's not it. And here's the key. Many of these people don't even know you've disconnected. You can do it in such a way they don't really, they don't have a clue that you've disconnected. Because non-covenant people don't realize when covenant isn't connected. Mm -hmm. 
What have I got? A few more minutes? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got 20. That's 20. I'm, I'm just confused. Um, the ability, strength, God's strength gives you the ability to persevere in the face of failures. I wish I could tell you um, everything you do in your life will be a monumental success instantly. But there's a scripture that I'm cognizant of that says, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. And that's a lie. You're going to have your failures. And you're going to do your best, but you're, there's going to be times when you, you don't, it doesn't happen the way you want it to. Jesus, now don't get upset. Jesus didn't do well everywhere. What do you mean? Oh, no. They rejected him in Nazareth. Was it his fault? No. Their fault. In Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together as the hen gathered her chicks? I would, but you would not. See? So if you look at it from the quote-unquote Western analysis of success, Jesus failed in Nazareth. But he didn't because he pleased the Father. Here's success. Here's success in the kingdom. Pleasing the Father. Come on. <laughs> Period. Amen. That's success in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, I do always those things that please my Father. Amen. Come on. His goal was to please the Father. And there's a key to that. <laughs> Daniel, I dare not get into it. We talked about it a little bit today. John 3, 13. In Jesus' mind, even though he was on the earth, this must be a bunch of eagles in here because I'm not giving sparrow food right now. <laughs> in Jesus' mind, even when he was on the earth, he never saw himself away from the throne of God. He thought from a throne continually. He thought from the right hand of God constantly. That's why he didn't have to hear from heaven. He did what he saw his father do. If you're sitting next to somebody, you can see him do it. You don't have to hear from them. His mindset was so close to the throne of God, even when he was on the earth. You receiving this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That he saw his father do things. Amen. And he said, the only thing I do is what I see him do. And I only do that which pleases him. None of us have reached that yet. But that's the goal. That's the goal, to have our mindset so in heaven. That's oh, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have gone there. <laughs> Paul said, "If you be risen with Christ, set your affections on things above." 
where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Mm -hmm. The word affections in Greek is your mindset, the way you think. So the Holy Spirit through Paul said, if you are really risen with Christ, think like Jesus thinks at the right hand of God. Don't think like an earthling. Think like an Havanian. Think that way. And I'm telling you, it is a master key to kingdom achievement. We think too much. How many have heard this phrase? You can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. (laughs) Evidently not. You can be super spiritual minded where you're no earthly good. But if if your mind is really the way heaven thinks, you're going to be a lot of earthly good. Amen. Yeah. A lot of earthly good. Yeah. Nowhere in the New Testament said, don't think the way they think in heaven. Think the way they think in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it says, love not the world, neither things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It said, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, if your mind gets renewed, what are you going to be thinking like? Like you're seated at the right hand of God. You say, yeah, but Brother Mike, I told you it's not got in there. <laughs> you know, if it's in you, it comes out of you no matter what you're teaching. This is huge in me right now. I'm so full of it. It's going to be one of my books. It's called Thinking from a Throne. He never left heaven in his mind. He said to Nicodemus, I may never get back here now, but whatever. <laughs> he said to Nicodemus in John 3, 13, he said, no man has ascended to heaven except the one who descended Even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. Even the Son of Man, and then he says this, who is in heaven. But he was standing on the earth when he said, who is, present tense, in heaven. He was in Galilee when he said, is in heaven. His body, his spirit, and yes, his mind was here, but his mindset was still in heaven. That's why he said, when you pray, pray this way. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if we'd ever get to the point that we... And here's our problem with this. (laughs) Yeah, but we're we're not at the right hand of God. But we are. The Bible said in Ephesians chapter 2... He has raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together with Christ. These are present tense. State of being. Made us sit together with Christ in heavenly places. So we, we, we are in Abbotsford, but we are in heaven. We are on the earth, but we're in heaven. So I don't think under the circumstances. I think above the circumstances. I don't think what's the enemy going to do. Let me ask you this. How did I get on this? this so, Do you think anybody in heaven is, is thinking about what the enemy is going to do tomorrow? No. Angels are walking around in heaven. What do you think Lucifer's going to pull tomorrow? (laughs) Uh, uh, Are we ready for what he's going to do? No. Never crosses their minds. Doesn't matter. Because they're at the right hand of God. They're around the throne of God. And they know, the Bible says, he knows the end 
from the beginning. This is a whole new way to think, folks. It's a whole new way to think. It's not religion. Whole new way to think. It's the way Jesus thought. I didn't know I was going to go there tonight, but it's, good. it's so in me. And the Lord's so dealing with me about it that if he could ever get us to think like Jesus thought. I'm here on the earth. I'm talking to Nicodemus, but really, if you understood, I'm in there. I'm in heaven. I'm thinking the way heaven thinks. So you have trouble understanding me sometimes, Nicodemus. You're the ruler of the Jews. King James says a ruler or a ruler or a teacher. The Greek says the master teacher of the Jews. Nicodemus was the master rabbi trainer of the Pharisees. And he says, uh, except man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> and, and Nicodemus is earthly. And so he says, how am I going to do that? Get back in my mother's womb, be born again? <laughs> earthly thinking. And so the Lord says, uh, how, how, he says, I'm trying to tell you heavenly things. You can't even understand earthly things. He said, you're the master teacher of the Jews. You don't even understand how to get into the kingdom of God. Because religion has got you to teach or got you to think the church of God way, the Roman Catholic way, the Episcopal way, the Southern Baptist way the primitive Baptist way, the missionary Baptist way. There's lots of Baptists. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not against any of those denominations. What I'm trying to tell you is this. There's a place that God's trying to get the church now to where he wants us to get so strong in these last days that we think from the right hand of God. Amen. We see things from the perspective of the throne. We respond the way they respond in heaven. And if that ever happened in the church, Satan is more afraid of that happening than anything else. I mean, I can get back to this. It's if the church ever discovers our position yeah. in heaven, yeah. he's lost his battle on the earth, and he knows it. So what does Satan work on in, in us individually? Everything you're not, everything you're wrong in, everything you're deficient in, because if you ever start thinking at the right hand of God, See, because we, we've been taught by religion not to accept that. Yeah. We're just a sinner, saved by grace. Show me that anywhere in the New Testament. It's not there. You can't be both. That's like being a little pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> you either are or you're not. <laughs> you, it's, it's one way or the other. <laughs> you understand? And so he works on this self-portrait of us until we're, pray for, pray for us that we can make it until Jesus comes. 
when in fact we are who he says we are. And he says in John 1.12, we're sons of God. He says in Romans chapter 8, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He says in the epistle of Peter that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. He says in Revelation 5, we are kings and priests. He says in the epistle of the Corinthians, we are ambassadors representing Christ. All of those things we are. But if we don't believe that's who we are, we'll be like this all the time. Out of bounds. No focus. Reacting to everything the enemy is saying about us. When God says, wow, hallelujah. When God says through the Holy Spirit and Paul, in Ephesians 1, he says, listen to this. Let me quote it and just kind of comment on it. And then we'll pray. He said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. The word enlightened is the Greek word photizo. We get our word photograph or photography from it. He says, I want the eyes of your understanding to take a picture. Remember back before digital, film was in a camera. There was a lens. There was an aperture. There was a shutter. You would aim it at someone. Aim it at this young lady and you aim aim the camera. (laughs) She smiled. (laughs) She's ready. And you aim the camera. And when you push the shutter, what happens is it opens, it opens an aperture and light bounces off of her and refracts back through the lens onto, <clears throat> onto blank film. And then it closes. And what was outside becomes inside the camera. And it reproduces the image that was outside, inside. And the Holy Spirit said through Paul, I pray that the eyes of your photizo, uh, the eyes of your understanding would photizo. That that you would press the shutter, y'all with me still? Press the shutter called faith. And God is aiming us at a picture of who we are and suddenly it comes inside of us in our minds and if you want to know the picture that starts developing and this what blows people away but Paul said <laughs> we are changed into the same image of the son of God from glory to glory to glory No, that doesn't mean we're the only begotten Son of God. There's only one of those. No, it doesn't mean we're the appointed Son of God. I saw one of those on TV today. (laughs) (laughs) But it means we have become children of the Most High God. And we're no longer tainted by our sin. We're no longer restricted by whatever adversaries we have. And suddenly we begin to think 
like Jesus thinks. So back to Ephesians 1. Pray the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. When that happens, you'll know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, his inheritance in the saints, and you'll realize what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. That is a requirement. All of this is true, but you have to believe it. You understand? Who believe? The power is there. The image is there. But if you don't believe it, you won't receive it. That's why don't criticize faith messages. All I do is teach faith. Well, we might need it. <laughs> Gee, if I have to hear that again, only does. He's talking about, uh, I forget one of the faith messages. And the guy said, all he does is teach faith. I said, all your dentist does is fix your teeth. Are you mad at him? <laughs> he said, well, what's analogous about that? I said, your dentist doesn't cut your hair. He fixes your teeth. You're, you don't want your barber working on your teeth. Amen. He cuts your hair. When I get on the plane to see to fly, if I look to the left, I don't want to see three guys in the cockpit with chef's hats on. <laughs> if I see guys with chef's hats on, I'm getting back off the plane. But when I go to a restaurant, I don't want my food cooked by American Airlines pilots. <laughs> Specialist. If you're going to deliver a baby, ladies, you probably don't want a plastic surgeon in the delivery room. <laughs> you want no BGYN, you're be better. You understand? God has raised up some specialists in the last days to help us with some stuff. And he's raised up some guys that specialize in faith. Don't diminish that. Receive that. He's raised up some ladies that, that specialize in the prophetic strength. Don't demean that. Receive that. We're going to have to understand that we're not going to succeed without one another. We are a body of members one of another. Amen. I'm going to need one another. Oh, Lord, I thought you should have never got over on this. i got to stop. i got to stop. <laughs> the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you know what is the riches of his glory. His inheritance is in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, that's his bona fides. That's, he said, I can do all these things and if you don't believe me, show somebody else that God killed and raised up. That's the difference between our religion and all other religions. Our God got killed and got up on the third day. And he said, the exceeding greatest of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought Christ when he raised him from the dead. And here's, here it is. Set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion in every name that is named. And those five things are the five levels of satanic power. So you never have to worry about chewing gum on your feet. If you step on chewing gum and you get it on the bottom of your foot, you don't rebuke it or resist it, you just scrape it off. That's right. You don't. Come on. You know, I don't spend a lot of time at, you know. I bite you! <laughs> Foul chewing gum in Jacob's name! Come off of him! I just scrape it off. I don't spend a lot of time with that stuff. 
because the Bible says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God far above five levels of satanic power. Say, that's Christ. Hang in here. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come, has placed all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. He's head over all things to us, to the church. Interesting, that word all in Greek means all. <laughs> That's what it means. It means all. Say the word. All. Say it again. All. He's the head over all things to the church. That's us. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And you have he quickened. Don't worry, I'm not going to quote, uh, quote the whole book of Ephesians. Just a few more verses. <laughs> and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who were in times past walked according to former conversation, according to the prince of power of the air, according to the spirit of disobedience, now works in the children of wrath. But he has raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together with Christ in heavenly places. Well, if Jesus is seated and his throne doesn't spin, <laughs> if Jesus is seated in heavenly places and he's put all things and five levels of demonic power under his feet if you feel like you are the least in the kingdom of God you're the last piece of, you know, the body of Christ. You're the last piece of flaky <laughs> epidermis skin on the callus on the body of Christ on foot. The Bible says that he's placed all things, including five levels of demonic power, under you. But you've got to see yourself seated there or you'll be under them well, the devil's tormenting me how can he do that he can't access that when you see yourself there you torment him he doesn't torment you what, you don't have any problems sure you have problems you don't have, you have attacks sure yeah yeah the Holy Spirit is arranging fights for you right now <laughs> Rejoice. Be happy. Be glad. The Holy Spirit is the Don King of the church. He is, he is promoting a fight right now for you. Not with other Christians. You schedule those. But he's arranging a fight right now for you with an adversary spiritually in the kingdom of darkness. Why does a promoter do that? So he can move his spider up the ranks because the bigger the fight the bigger the purse and I don't if if the purse isn't big enough I cancel the fight I don't fight little things I just rule over little things 
But if the purse is big enough, and I'm not talking about an offering in church. <laughs> I have a Jehovah Jireh. Thank you very much. I'm talking about the reward is big enough. Don't just sit there. Pray for the spirit of conclusion to come on. <laughs> If the reward is big enough, I'll I'll move I'll move from that right hand throne ship into into the fight. But the reward's got to be big enough. And God's God's arranging. Oh, I feel prophetic about this thing right now. Hallelujah. God is arranging some fights. And when Goliath walks into your valley, don't whine, don't complain. Come on. Say, whoa. Come on. Ah. David looks at the guy and he give me a man, we can fight together, everybody's scared to death. And David asked this question. He asked the size of the purse for the fight. He said, What will be done for the man that kills him? <laughs> he wants to know the size of the purse before he gets into the fight. What will be done? And the guy said, Oh. Saul said, you never have to pay taxes again. Ooh, hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. And you get to marry Michal, who is the Miss Jerusalem, the daughter of King Saul. And he's a teenage boy. (laughs) And he begins to think about the purse here. I don't have to pay taxes anymore in my lifetime. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. And Samuel did pour oil on me and told me I was going to move into the palace. And if I marry the king's daughter, I'm going to move right in (laughs) to the palace. And all of a sudden, his mind starts thinking from a throne. Because Samuel said, you're going to be on a throne. He wasn't there yet. He's delivering cheese and bread. But in his mind, he's on a throne. Come on. And so he starts thinking this way. I remember a lion came out one time. Yeah. Took a lamb. I chased him down. Took the lamb out of his mouth and killed him. Tanned his hide and gave him to dad for Father's Day. <laughs> That's a Mike Brown paraphrase. <laughs> And I remember another time a bear came up. See, if you're thinking from the battle, you never think this way. That's right. But if you're thinking from a throne that you haven't even got to in the natural yet, but a man of God by the name of Samuel said you're there. So he believed the man of God, and he was there in his mind. And he said, I killed the bear, tanned his side, and gave him to mom. Big mouth doesn't make a big man. <laughs> That's from John Wayne movie. <laughs> K.E.O. U.S. Marshal. <laughs> says, big mouth doesn't make a big man. You come to me with a sword and a shield. Come on. I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, on. the one you've defied. Your bird food, bud. <laughs> I'm going to feed your flesh to the fowls of the air. And he runs toward him. Stone, bump, out. Didn't kill him with the stone. Killed him with his own sword. 
Because if you stay in the fight long enough, the enemy will bring you that which is necessary for your promotion. That's right. Woo! Come on. The thing that brought David his promotion was the enemy, the enemy's sword that was designated to kill him. And what you don't realize is that which came to kill you. Right, come on. Yeah. See? Yeah. That which came to kill you, put in your hand right. that which you needed right. to rule over. The enemy. Right. So that's what you. So don't whine about it. <laughs> don't whine. Don't say, "What are we going to do?" Well, it's Goliath. He's huge. He's big. Uh, you know. He said, "I'll take your head off. I'll put it in a formaldehyde jar. Put it on my desk and put complaint department on it." <laughs> and everybody that walks into the office will have a memory. <laughs> I got to quit. I got to quit. I got to quit. Anybody here want to get strong in the Lord? Strong in the Lord. The power of his might. Hallelujah. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to, oh, I forgot. We're going to have questions or what are we going to do? What do you want? I don't care what are. But I want to pray here in a minute and then, and then pastor will decide what he wants us to do. I didn't know the Lord was going to take me over there to that thinking from a throne. But that's where you're strong. That's where you're strong. When you think from a throne. I can't really wait to write that book. That thing is burning in me like fire right now. Thinking from a throne. I'm almost where Mike was when he talked. Mike Murdoch was when he told me one time. He said, God gave me the law of recognition probably one of the greatest books ever written in the kingdom of God. And he said, when I saw the revelation, he said, I wrote it as quickly as I could and put copies in four different safes because I thought that before I could get it out, the devil would do everything he could to kill me. And that's the way I feel about this revelation. If we did, and, and the devil's not going to kill me because I'm seated on the throne. But if we could ever get this, it changes. There's no room for church fights on the throne. There's no room for personal offense when you're seated on the throne. There's no room for defaming one another when you're seated on the throne. You're too close to the holiness of God to even consider it. It changes everything. When you think from a throne. Stretch hand out toward me. Hallelujah. I just want to pray over you. I want you to look right at me. I just want to, I, because I want to be able to just see you. You just look right at me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'll bring us to such an understanding of this. Greater than my ability to communicate it. Greater than my ability to put it in words, but bring it to bring us to an understanding of our position in Christ. Not just who we are, but where we are. That we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Far above all of these other things. Bring us to that place of understanding. That the eyes would open up and the picture would be there. And we would see ourselves seated with Jesus, 
next to the Father in authority and in strength doing everything God wants us to do. Put your hand down. I want to make this proclamation. If, if we will come to that place, I decree in the name of Jesus that wrong decisions will stop being made. And if you understood how important what I just said was, what would it be like in your life if you never again made a wrong decision? Come on, dream a little bit here with me. What would it be like if freedom, amen, if we never made another wrong decision? So let me, let me tie it together and then Pastor will tell us what he wants us to do next. But let me tie this together. Are there any wrong decisions being made at the right hand of God? Oh, this thing is getting so big in me. I've got to get somewhere to write. There are no wrong decisions being made at the right hand of God. And if we're seated there, we don't have to learn by trial and error. We can make the right choices. Here's the goal of my life. My God, this is so big in me. I can teach this thing till 2 in the morning right now. Be happy for me. I'm 65 and not wearing out. <laughs> I'm burning on. I can't. I just got to stop. Oh, God, it's too much. But here's my goal in life from now on. I want to get to a place where I can say this legitimately. I can't say it yet. I want to. I do always those things that please the Father. That's my goal. My goal is I do always those things that please Him. I only do what I see Him do. Not what people are trying to get me to do. Not what intimidation is trying to manipulate me to do. All those things we talked about. Not what wrong connections are trying to get me to do. Just what he wants me to do. And at the end of my life, if I've done that, I will have been a success. That's what I want.